It's a good win. There's a lot of people. It's like Woodstock, except everybody's got their clothes on. But eat a damn snack. You're like my wife when you get in space. You just get lost. Short steps are better than long steps. That's the only time in your life you're going to hit short is better than long. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode 24 of 614 Headsets. We're your hosts. Hey, football is unconditional love, and we couldn't agree more. We're three high school football coaches from the Columbus area that just live, eat, sleep, and, and breathe this game. We've been juggling a lot of things. We're excited about season two and what's going on. Let's just go around, everybody. Say hello, Ryan. Make sure you introduce our guest to Andre today, too. I'll start it then. If we're going to introduce him first, we might as well start with a guest, too. But uh, so who we got today is uh, Amp, the, the legend, Coach Pratt. <laughs> but, uh, he coached me from for two years when I was at Ohio Dominican. So I'm super excited for this episode. It, it feels great to see a face that I know, obviously, on here. And he's helped me a ton, even just in the coaching world. My first year at Northland, he was right by my side and made sure our <laughs> defense looked right. And I couldn't thank him enough for that stuff because we looked terrible that year. He could easily <laughs> say, no, I'm not doing this. But yeah. <clears throat> right now he's the outside linebacker coach at uh, West Virginia State, uh, who's done a, who did a great job last year, had a great uh, season. He also coaches his son. It's one of the most unique things. If you guys saw what we uh, labeled this as is the double vision, right? Um, he gets to see both sides of it. Uh, but Coach Pratt, you can go ahead and introduce yourself, talk a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Coach Pratt, Jason Pratt. I'm from Columbus, Ohio originally. I played football at West Virginia State, and then uh, as, ma- as soon as I got done graduating, began coaching. Coach gave me an opportunity as a graduate assistant my first year, then I took over the D-line my second year. I was there until 2003, and then I went to the – St. Francis Red Flash in Laredo, PA, and I was there for three years. Then I went to the University of Charleston. Then I spent uh, six or seven years at ODU, and now I'm back at West Virginia State. It's been a, it's been quite a journey. It's twenty some years in in the making here and, and counting. Don't want to age myself, but seen a lot of things in this game and got a, the pleasure of coaching some great people. Uh, have a ton of respect for what what Ryan's done at the at the land and uh, turning that program around. It's, it's always great to see guys you coach be successful in this game and just be able to be a part of their journeys is special. Donnie, man, how was Christmas, brother? It was fantastic. Got a little time with the family. <laughs> got a little Denny's dinner last night, family tradition. So it was good. It was, it was a good little break from the world. What'd you get the fiance? That's a, this a, these first couple of Christmases <laughs> is the solid foundation on your relationship. What did you get the fi- newly fiance? So, Who's way, by the way, everybody listening, way out the entire mind. coaching staff says Domus fiance is way cooler than him. In fact, yeah. if we were going to go get beers, we'd rather go with her than him. Way cooler and way out of my league. That's for sure. So she's, this was her last Christmas spent down South in Florida. I told her parents, Mike, this is the last time you're getting her. We decided this Christmas not to go to Florida. That sounds so controlling. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not driving down to Florida for Christmas. But this year, and maybe going forward, maybe just this year, I don't know. We decided no Christmas gifts for each other. We're we're just going to go out to dinner or something something nice. What? Nope. And it wasn't even my suggestion. I'm like, I'm on board. I'm still pissed. We're good. That's a test. You you called me the Grinch. You (laughs) called me the Grinch last week. Look at this guy. Right? Unbelievable. My wife tries to put like a limit on me, and I go above it. I ain't going to be that guy. Hey, I'm going to tell you what. You keep coaching, you better start buying gifts, man. I'm I'm telling you what. You better figure something out. Yeah, yeah, because Pratt doesn't know. He's only in his second year of coaching, so he doesn't really – she's still enjoying – the beginning of the fun parts of oh yeah <laughs> still figuring it out you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. yeah she doesn't get it yet but hey guys i can't wait hey as we get started today make sure you subscribe to the show it's year two we're excited about what we've done a lot of you have followed or catched up on certain episodes just help us out help us grow help us keep doing what we're passionate about and subscribe or give us a rating january 27th is going to be our first clinic we want to put on a coach's clinic by coaches for coaches we're sitting down with a venue next week, which we're excited about. We took a lot of people's feedback about what type of location you'd like to have. We think we have something figured out that's going to work really nicely with what a lot of you said. And so this week we're ironing out 
our speaker list and and we'll have some details i think coming out this week about that so we are working keep signing up keep letting us know who's going to come and, and donovan go ahead and, and tell everybody here on episode 24 double vision which you name well hold Congrats, on before man. you go yeah. though, ooh, the ooh. speaker for the clinic though i've already wrote coach pratt in i just haven't told oh, him, that's all right we can do it i'll make it happen <laughs> Yeah, I already know you will. That's the answer I always have. Ah, yes, I will make it happen for you. We love it. We love it. We love it. Hey, well, we, Sayers even said he'd buy you a couple waters at the end of it. for. for yeah, yeah, they never guys. bought me a water in his life. Hey, listen, let's just be realistic. Pratt doesn't need anybody buying him no water. <laughs> I know. I don't need any help with that. Oh, we got a good one today. Coach Pratt's going to be introduced here very quickly to our pick six segment. Six questions that he has no idea what they were coming in before. We don't even know each other's questions. It's always a surprise. And then we got a cool topic to talk about as the title, as the episode is titled Double Vision, right? Looking at Coach Pratt's careers, it relates to coaching, talking about the challenges and the benefits of both of both worlds of what he does. And then also talking about this ever-changing world of not only high school football, but college ball when it comes to the transfer portal, when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to NIL, you name it. It's got a good episode coming up for today. We're really excited about it. Hey, and as we talk about that, 614 Headsets is brought to you by Fundraising University Ohio, and they offer a variety of fundraising efforts that helps football teams run profitable, effective, and fast-paced fundraisers designed to raise the most money in the shortest amount of time to reach their fundraising goals. Fundraising University Ohio is locally owned, operated, and with their six-step blitz system will help your team maximize profits. As the current coach himself, Brett Maxwell, with Fundraising University, will sit down and help you pick, plan, strategize, and execute your fundraiser that will allow you as a coach to focus on your practice time, prep time, player development, and personal time. If you're interested in us running a fundraiser for you, please contact Brent Maxwell at bmaxwell at fundraising, the letter u.net, or 740-501-8946 to learn how you can get started fundraising today. Coaches, I know it's off-season time and you're planning everything out. Make sure you reach out to my man. He'll square you out. Ryan swears by him. If you've got any questions, reach out to him and he'll give you the lowdown as well. So let's get into the meat and potatoes here. Let's get into this pick six segment here. All right? <laughs> Who wants to start it off? We're going, you got we're it, going Donnie. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Round robin again. Round robin. All right, my first question. If you could attend one sporting event for free, what would you pick? Ooh, one sporting event for free. Yep. And let's, you know what? And let's I will, for like VIP box and everything. Like they're gonna give you some free food, some free full drink ticket, whatever you like. They're gonna they're gonna put the show out free. They're gonna roll out the red carpet. All right. All right. You know what? I think I want to be in that in that section with the golf the golf at the waste management. Yes, yeah, that's a good I one. I want to be in there. I want to be in there. That's a good one too. Yeah. That looks like a that that's looks good. like a show. That looks like a program. That's the number one thing I want to attend before I die. Yeah, I swear on everything. Yeah. I've been saying it for years. That makes me so happy. Yeah. Boys, keep it around here. What else? What else we got? Pratt, I'll... we're going. Hold on a second. All right, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. But let's see here. We'll say for you, if you are going to be uh, an elite DC, what is the number one thing that you have to have a complete grasp on to have an elite defense? Well, the first thing always comes back in every defense I've worked on is – there's different ways people do it. So, for instance, at, at State, we run more of the Georgia-Bama defense, right? But then there's something to it whenever you go somewhere else. Like, if you look at other programs, it's the same defense, but they call it more like the fronts are segmented, the movements are segmented, they tag the movements, the backers have their, their, their names of their blitzes and the coverages all fit. And the one thing that's important to all that is nomenclature. You have to be able to name it so that it makes sense, right? Elite defenses are consistent in their makeup, in that if you give the if you've called a say you name the will backer the whip in your blitz scheme and you call a, a tag right and that sends the tackle to a gap right so let's say it's an under front so in my defense it would be field and it would be tag and it would be whip and then you have a coverage behind it everybody knows what they're doing because it's all based on the nomenclatures they all fit and i think the more consistent you can be with how you call things i think that's it that's the first thing because the kids at the end of the day, that's how fast they can pick up on things is going to determine how fast they can get the reps and play at a high level. So I know that seems like a very simplistic thing, but in my experience, the, the, the teams that can build that and keep it consistent over time, they are able to put things together faster. Yeah. If you think about coaching, you're teaching 
just a wide spectrum of different people, right? If you think about yeah. backgrounds and everything else and previous knowledge and different things. Especially that's in the thing. college level. Right? Well, can I add level. something to that? It's different because so in our defense at State, we'll our call. defense, which is my defense, I call the same stuff. <laughs> yeah, so we'll call like Mint Strong 3 Auto. That is a, a version of Mint defense where you're bringing a fourth guy and you're rolling to you're rolling your safety to a one high and you're playing rip liz match based on the formation that defense will work out six different ways so it's easy to teach a college kid that right but for a high school kid you got to be able to spell it out a little bit so being able to create the situation where you could tag things and name things and get it might make for longer a little bit longer calls and there's situations where you can shorten them and stuff but it might make for longer calls but in the end you're going to get more consistency and better performance and, and higher level of execution if you can do that. It's not going to, at college, it's a lot different. They expect you to know the six different adjustments of that defense. Yeah. So I'm sticking it in this realm of play calling a little bit here on my first question. And I said, as an offensive guy, I'm going to take this as an opportunity to pick a defensive <laughs> guy's brain a little bit. But All right. currently, right now, like what offensive formation or play or that coupled together, in your opinion, is the biggest challenge to defend? What's given you the biggest fits? What's been the what, what what what's the hardest right now? Right now, I think that the way teams are using these some of these unbalanced formations and being creative with some of the ways that they create in the college level, sometimes you see especially in the red zone, creative formations, creative personnel groups. And uh, you, you don't really know what to prepare for during the week because a lot of times in college, it might be different from, from week to week. And so I think whenever teams are using personnel groups, motioning to things and or even creating unbalanced formations where you're going to have to make an adjustment on the fly, I think those things present an incredible problem if you're using, especially when you're using bigger bodies, because oftentimes if you have that tight end, it's unbalanced, you're creating an extra gap right? The coverage is meant to fit the run, right? So you can take care of all the gaps. The safeties can make the linebackers right. But if, if you don't move, if, if, if you don't line, if you can't get adjusted to it, it gives the offense a tremendous advantage. And I feel like those things, and now teams are doing RPOs out of them, and, and there's just a ton of creative stuff out there. I think that's one thing that I've seen that that is a, it's something we have to put more time into, especially in short yardage situations. In the past, we could sit down on a Sunday and, and we could develop game plans and we could say, all right, these are going to be our third down pressure package. More and more often, we're having to, like this year is the first year that we were talking in the room and I said, look, fourth down, we were not very good if you look at it. Teams are going for it. Offense are going for it on fourth downs more. And oftentimes they're using these creative packages they use in the red zone to get you off balance and they're getting the first down. And so now you're having to spend a whole lot of more time preparing for fourth down as a play as a call of its own. It's a set of calls of, of their own. And it's taking some additional time and preparation. Yeah, leverage. If you think about it, I think offense took a massive jump with tempo and spread there for a little bit and then defense caught up and now defense has gotten so well at playing against tempo and, and seeing that spread that now you've had to have offenses react and get a little bit more a little more old school think about some leverage going to the vault look at Andy Reid and all these guys who are going way back in the day to find these creative formations and groupings like you're talking about yeah, yeah and it's, it gets more people involved, and you, you have to watch those people. You have to break them down. What's their role? Because especially – and that actually is an advantage in high school yeah. because oftentimes you have those tweener guys, the tight yep. end types, the H-back types, and you throw a few of them on the field, create an unbalanced look. Somebody's the, – the high school kids, it'll blow their mind. Yeah, I, I, we, I've gone – I just broke down our last two years as we were getting ready for a clinic, just thinking about maybe what I might talk about if I talk and – just heading into last year, we ran eight different personnel groups with about 37 different formations. And that grew from where we were the year before. And it's, it's something we really believe in and being a multiple thing. And it, it, for me, <clears throat> even if you can get an extra seven different kids on the field, the buy-in that creates year round mm -hmm. to have a, a role for different kids on the team, how that can transform things a lot. Or I think the biggest thing being all these personnel packages for us has been the cohesion between offense and defense. When you start pulling linebackers over and an extra D lineman in to now be a part of a package, there's no more pointing fingers. It's all of us are in this together. There's no more divide, I think, as it came on our team in the last two years as we've blended everybody in these packages together on both sides yeah. of the ball, too. That's great. That's great. 
All right, we'll get back to my second question. I'm sticking away from the football focus question, so change your no, your no, your no, mindset no. for a second. Let's get it. If you could travel back to one place in time, where would you choose, or or when would you choose? Where would you go? Back to coaching me at ODU, baby. <laughs> Not hey, a listen, chance. You got Not a, you a got chance. a time travel machine. This is the dark years. Go- That's probably what turned that hair a little salt <laughs> and pepper there, Ryan. You can go back. <laughs> that, no, he- he's responsible for about five years off my life. He, he's gonna feel bad at my funeral when he's there. He's gonna know he did it. You it can go back and well. see whenever or wherever you want, not just Yeah, Ryan, so I'm Ryan a huge Sayers history guy. I'm a yeah. huge history guy. I read a ton of history, and this is going to maybe be a little controversial, but just bear with me for a second, because I go back to the Second World War, right, and the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And the interesting thing to me there is there's a huge history about why it happened, and everybody can start to put the pieces back together and understand. But one thing I will never understand, and I would like to ask this guy, is I would like to ask Germany, and specifically Mr. Hitler, 94% of Americans were against the war in Europe. They didn't want to fight. They had enough in World War I. They didn't want to go back. The Japanese had just bombed us. And here, two days later, out of nowhere, you declare war in the United States for no reason. Nobody can really figure out why. You just did it. Okay, they're in it. We're in it, too. Maybe we'll partner up and beat these guys. For the life of me, from a historical perspective, I will never understand why that man did that. Well, he also didn't learn from Napoleon invading Russia in the middle of That's winter right. either. He apparently just wasn't great at looking at things from that that Eiffel Tower a little bit. I don't know. No, absolutely not. A lot of people could take that and say that's controversial. But if you understand history and you understand the American perspective in that time, they wanted no part of it. And there was just it. Ended, it was the final stroke. It just who knows ended. more history, Stout or Pratt? Because Stout teaches history. I know teach it, teaches is a far stretch for Stout, but he knows history. I don't know. Nice, nice little <laughs> subtle digger, Ryan. All right. yeah, it just depends. You know what I think the cool thing about history is? I think the thing about history is it's where you spend your time at. Just like football yeah. and some other things. For me, I don't know. I'm stuck in a time where I teach a lot of world history now. And that's where my time is, where earlier in life I did a lot of American history. It just depends on what your time and passion and what you put your time into. Hey, if yeah. you guys need a new net, new documentary to watch on Netflix, it's a new World War II one. It's World War II from the front lines. The footage is insane. It's like only remastered footage. Dude, it looks like it's from a movie. Like it is some of the wildest, wildest stuff I've ever seen. It's on the yeah. list to watch. Check that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right, Ryan. I got to hear this question because it's not even on the list. So I'm, I don't know I'm like nervous every time I, he asked me. So. Here's the thing. I didn't want – I was – I just felt like – Stout and Donnie, I didn't put this on the list because they always steal my questions. It's weird just because they know they're not as intellectual as me, Pratt. So they can't come up with So they take uh, mine and I'm like, dang, you guys saw I put that on there. But okay, we'll continue on. What's the number one head coach in the NFL right now that you would mm. love to go coach for? What's crazy is that like this, uh, the Dolphins, right? Mm. And uh, he... What he's doing is crazy. Watching some of their paths. So I have my huddle is very robust. I have pretty much every college, major college game going back to 2015. I have Georgia Bama's installs, video installs, the same stuff they show their players. I got NFL games on there, and I've been watching these Dolphins from this year. And the way he's using motions. So, for instance, you know, when you're coaching DBs, right, so there's dividers on the field. So let's say you're in cover three, right? And if the ball's on the hash, the, the field corner's five yards top of the numbers most of the time, right? And he's using that divider to determine what technique he's going to play. Let's say, it's, let's say it's man. So if the guy's way outside my divider, I'm going to probably back up and split the difference and play off man, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to – I have to be more off because the A squared plus B squared equals C squared, that's a far throw, Right. So then you also have be inside your divider, then I'm going to move to a trail technique, right? Because he's inside my divider, but I don't want to move in and give him space to just use all that and, and just go through a fade and beat me with space. But I'm watching what these dolphins are doing and, and, and they're using the motions to put the corners and the DBs into bad position so there's a couple of they're not very good so, so somebody might not be good at trail technique and inevitably you see these motions going and it's putting the corner in trail technique and you're like man that's pretty brilliant and then the pass concept behind it he can't it makes it harder for him to be right and the way that they're using space and the way that they're using formations into the boundary and the concepts is absolutely fascinating to me because the way they're manipulating the defense in real time is just it's different i i don't know that I don't know that I'm seeing that with the other teams that I'm watching. 
that's the number one coach I'd pick too is Mike McDaniel. So Josh Mc, I, yeah, Mike I, McDaniel. Yeah. I, I love uh, did you see the tweet where he was talking the, shit the on, my, on Dan Marino? On Dan Marino? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, like, he was like, that. F you, Dan, we're coming for all your records. Yeah. Standing behind him. He was just right behind him saying, I did, I thought it was like over a headset or something because I couldn't see him. But then yeah. also like his speech where he was really taking ownership of calling bad plays mm-hmm. and knowing that he put yeah. himself in a bad situation as a coach. And he went out in front of – Grown men, I think the NFL world to me is a wild thing to coach because you now you're coaching guys that make way more money than you and are sometimes, for his instance, older than him or been in the league longer than him. So it's a tough thing for him to coach those guys. But he went up there and showed no humility. He was like, hey, I made a bad call. This was a, He was using some words that we're not allowed to use because we're PG, stout, yell at me. But no, <laughs> but that's really smart, though. If you think about it, if guys are going to be in a position that make more money than you or already have a career, like they want that relationship. They want that honesty. We do it all the time. Dom has been in the room. That's the number one thing I've always tried to do as a coach is just I'll take ownership when I'm at fault. If I didn't give you enough practice reps at it, if I called a bad play in that situation, I take ownership of that. Because guys need to see that you be honest. And I think that helps develop a relationship when it is time to get on somebody for something and everybody has their part. But we're all human. We all make mistakes, right? Uh, I think that's really good of them. And, and I think yeah. that is is something where that's probably a key to his success a little bit. Yeah, I would say. Speaking of Mike McDaniels, by the way, uh, Coach Pratt, I'm a resident Washington Redskins fans here, surrounded by Cleveland Browns fans. You guys want to hear something crazy about I'm Mike calling McDaniels? them the Redskins. You're not the Redskins. Go mm-hmm. ahead and call them what they are. Washington. At one point, <laughs> Washington had Kyle Shanahan. Uh, oh, who, yeah. Who's the Green Bay Packers head coach? Is it LaFleur? LaFleur, Mike yeah. McDaniels, and some other young coach. Oh, Kevin O'Connell, the Vikings. All four of those guys, somebody else. And so I watched those Dolphins clips or the, Look at the old the school Browns where you had Belichick, Saban, and all oh. those cats together. No, no, this is modern day where it stings a little bit more. I'm like, those five guys. One of the most interesting things I read the war room it was about Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. And it talked about the revolutionary system that they created to uh, scout talent they changed how they scout talent how they graded people so that the way they did things at new england they created and implemented at cleveland but they weren't even there long enough to see it through so literally they created in cleveland only did it for a year or two took the exact blueprint and model they created took the new england and look what happened in new england can you imagine awesome book if you're looking for the way yeah. bill belichick builds people up and what he does he had oh, mangini picking the browns I'm he had man he had mangini picking people up from the airport that was his <laughs> job he, he made the coffee he picked people up from the airport he saw he did that then he gave him okay i'll give you something a little bit more hey i need you to do third and medium cut-ups for me and, and give me your a breakdown of it and mangini wrote about the first time he gave the report to bill it was charted up with BS and this is wrong and that. It gave it back to him, but he said it made him better. It humbled him, and that's how yeah. he got better. That's how he built people up. If you're a coach, it's a fantastic book about, if I'm a head coach, maybe how I would try to build younger coaches up like Donovan under your system. You know what I mean? Dang. Know, <laughs> I've been firing Donovan. Dang. Donovan. All right. So I, my last my question is this, Coach. I, I think you're the first college guy we've had on here, and so I had to ask. What is your go-to snack or your must-gets when you're on the road recruiting? Oh, man, that's a good one. So I'm a, one of those, like, beef jerky guys. So right now, it's the fatties. It's the fatty little beef stick. I just grab one of those, the three-ounce one, and that's lunch sometimes. When you're in between <laughs> schools, that and doing what you can do, man. Shut up, Sarah. I already <laughs> know say I would have said that <laughs> other than a fatty little beef stick. They're called fatties, dude. I would have said a pack of beef. I would have said a pack of beef jerky. He could have left it at beef jerky and we were all in there. But when he said a fatty little beef stick, I'm just I'm picturing him in some rental car. Ryan, just you don't even know what he's rapper just shoving this beef stick. Look, I said it earlier, yeah. we're a PG podcast, but for you to say that you like fatty little yeah. beef stick is one of the favorite things that's ever been said 
<laughs> you got me. That's it. You asked the question. I'm telling you what I was eating. <laughs> That'll okay, be a good highlight knew, there. <laughs> you knew that was coming after. Oh, you I didn't know what you were. I know, dude. I'm with you. A little beef jerky, a little trail mix. I'm never I'm saying. Say, I'm, all in I'm never saying beef. a little fatty little beef stick. Though. <laughs> yeah, it's you gotta listen. The brand is great. You get gritted. It's it's good. I'm gonna quietly hey, give it. Hey, I'm, I'm gonna quietly and respect to you give it a try, but I'm not gonna tell anybody on this show. <laughs> don't tell any. You don't think, tell anybody. Don't tell Sayers. Gee, no. Keeps... no. <laughs> All right, that's the pick six diamond. Let's get rolling. So really the bulk of what we want to do today, Coach, in this double vision is talk to you about your really unique situation and then just get your take about the transfer portal too. So I think we'll separate up. We'll talk about it. Coach, you talked about, or Ryan suggested and told us earlier that unique things about you is you coach in college, have for a very long time. You're very passionate about having a younger son who also is uh, in high school and, and want to be around him and coach him. And so you've uh, juggled both of those, coaching in both realms. Maybe yeah. just describe to everybody what your situation was like last fall and, and, and tell us about your unique story. We were coaching, I was coaching at West Virginia State. My son uh, was, was moved, we were moving into a new school and the head coach came to me and said, look, I'd love for you to be the defensive coordinator, opportunity to coach your son. I'm sitting there and uh, I'm thinking to myself, what, what kind of message am I sending? He, we, we go throw a ball. One day he's telling me, he's daddy, you know, why don't you coach me? And I said, I've always wanted to let you have your own thing. Football's been my thing and I want you to have your own experience. And he was like, well, if you want what's best for me, what's the matter? And I was like, you're right, man. So, okay. So the head coach had offered me the DC job. So I went and talked to my head coach at state. I'm like, look, I still want to be a part of what we're doing. We got this thing moving in a positive direction. I don't want to lose any momentum. And I want to be a part of this. How do we do it? He's like, he's like, you could always move to a defensive analyst position and be involved in game planning. You can still be at the box. You can still be in the box on Saturdays. You just can't coach on the field. So I moved into that role at, for the college, and I was doing it's doing all that all through the the season, and still being involved in meetings sometimes, and film breakdowns, and 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 everything, everything that I would normally do, I just wasn't coaching on the field. And then in the high school, I was the defensive coordinator, which one of the things that was unique about that was for the high school kids, it was very nice because I had a lot of skills with they used huddle, so I had a lot of skills, and I could I actually made a dig. I thought these kids don't look at paper, right? They're not going to do walkthroughs. I turned everything into a digital playbook. So fully digital, use a PowerPoint and and all, all the tools. And so made this digital playbook, started work. And these kids were like, I, they, their parents were like, I've never seen anything like this. So was able to bring some of those skills from what we do every day in college to the high school level. It was very, it had, it required me to be very structured. I own my own business too. So that was, it, it, it was a crazy time in my life from the standpoint that I'd get up on Sundays. First thing I would do, uh, Saturday, so let's go after the game on Friday night. I would grade the film right then for the high school, make sure we had it all done for those kids for when we go to uh, film Saturday morning. Then I'd leave from film Saturday morning, go to our game at the university, be up at the box. Um, if we had a road trip, then we would move the film for the high school, but be in the game for the box for home games at least. And then Sunday, I would go to the college grade that film. Then we would have our, our meetings to start in inputting, doing our like, data input and our breakdowns of what we were responsible for and Monday. I'm doing the same thing. Sunday night, I would go to the high school. Um, I would have all the meetings with the coaches of the game plans, of what we were going to do. I broke down their stuff Saturday night after our college game. And I would have all this stuff ready. And basically I wasn't sleeping much. I was just doing football, which was awesome for me. I didn't really care. Huh. Monday, you get in there all day long. I'm doing the game planning for the college and the university. And then we're doing getting our installs ready there. And then I would go from there, go to practice have our meetings before we go out of practice at three, go to the high school practice. And then that would be the consistent thing all week long. And so it was pretty much 24 seven football. Uh, I loved it. There were some things that I picked up at the, uh, there were some things that I ab absolutely was able to take from the college level. And, and we used it at the high school level. I just dumbed it down by actually telling the kids what to do in the call. And that's where I got that part of how to break down like a mint strong three auto. How did we run that in high school? How do we create that, that look in high school? And we had a lot of success. We were in high school. We gave up 233 yards a game. I think we gave up uh, a total of like 4.1 yards of play. We had, I think we had 15 turnovers. Uh, we just had a high level of success in the team that was, we ended up being 10 and two. 
And so it, it was, we had a lot of success. We had a lot of great kids and it was the first year they'd ever, they transitioned from a three, three, five to a four, two, five multiple. And so the one thing that I got though, from the high school and working with those kids was, Hey, look, some of this college stuff we're doing, we're putting in a lot of stuff. How do I dumb that down for them? And so I was able to take what I did with the high school kids and reverse engineer it, give it back to the college kids in a way that was maybe a little bit more digestible. And what that meant was we were able to get more guys on the field. So we were, we, we always had different personnel packages, but there's always one guy. And, and so it, sometimes when I was there in the, at the college full time, I was not thinking about what's one thing that guy can do well. What high school, what do you got to think about? What's one thing that guy can do and how do I get him to do that over and help us have success at that? I was able to take that approach and, and spin it right back. And so from that standpoint, it was a very unique experience and something I'll never forget, to be honest, it was challenging and physically and mentally, but at the same time, I probably had some of my best ideas as a coach being a part of both worlds. Coach, it, I got a this question. This might be for you. a hard question, but what would you say, Coach Pratt, is the biggest difference from high school football to college football? What's the number one biggest difference? I know it's well, probably going to be hard. You're going to have to lump a few. I think that's together. interesting, too, because there's probably a lot of people that listen to us that are a lot of high school coaches. I know we have a few college guys that kind of tune in. I think a lot of high school guys have aspirations of making a jump and building their career to college. So I think that's a really good question. Yes. Yeah. What was the question again, Ryan? What's the biggest difference from high school football to college football coaching and you were right in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I think one, the first one's the maturity of the kid, right? So physically, they're physically more mature product in college than in high school, just by virtue of having a few more years. I think that I, I think I, I'm only more towards the coaching side of things. What's more like the heart biggest challenge as a I coach? Think that from the biggest challenge is, is is making the information digestible. So many times as college coaches, what we're what I found we had done is uh, I found that we had sometimes just maybe written off a kid a little too fast because he couldn't pick it all up and we would be too quick to move on or maybe cut that kid's reps. Whereas I found that we got more utility out of the kid if we could just dumb it down and just use the strengths. So like I had, there's six people in, in my position group room. One of the things was I had a guy that was, he, he, he was more of a physical kid, better against the run. I used him more in the red zone in goal line situations. There was a guy that was better on third downs, a guy that was better at dropping into, see, so finding those situations where the kid can have success. And I think that that's something that sometimes we're a little bit too quick to say, yeah, this kid isn't picking it up. I'm not, I'm going to move on. And so we're a little bit too quick to move on. And I think that that helped me to have the patience. To, to give that kid a little longer look and to be involved with maybe being a little bit more hands on how he digested the information. And I think that it was, I think it was a positive result. I think it's something I'll always do now from now on. I think I'll be, I'll, I'll try to be more patient. Coach, For so I got to, you talked about the maturity of the players and how they can digest information. So for perspective, like Coach Stout and Coach Sayer said, this past season, my second year coaching, and I went from, my last season playing football in college was 2020. And then I started coaching 2022 was my first season, but we started doing mm -hmm. off season workouts in winter of 2022. So I remember that first time doing drills with these kids with the O-line and going, all right, I'm going to do these drills. I got these three or four or five things that I want to do. And I remember going into it, going, not even thinking about coaching style or how I wanted my voice to be or anything like that. But I remember very vividly talking to these kids early on, very similarly to how my college coach would talk to me and how that mm -hmm. style of communication was around drills, around the game, around whatever it may be. And I very quickly realized high school kids and, and college athletes, you can't always talk to them the same way. So for you, someone that not only had to go through that transition, but to do it on a day by day, if not hour by hour basis of I'm going to talk to college kids and I'm going to talk to high school kids. I'm going to talk to three-year starters. I'm going to talk to a first-year starter as a junior in high school. How difficult was that for you to make that transition on such a short-term basis of communication styles? So I think that that's a great question. I think that one of the things that I developed in college was I always had a teaching progression. I think one thing is you always have to understand what you're going to do. And so whether it's a three-step progression, four-step progression, five-step progression, as you're going through that progression and you start to see where the kid starts to fail, then you know where to leave him alone. Coach him on that level. Let's not take him from two to five. Let's see he's breaking down at, at, at level two of, of the teaching progression. 
right? So let's get him to do, let's get him to just work on level three. Don't yell at him when he can't do level five. He, he couldn't do level five if he wanted to, right? It's just like teaching a kid to do a squat for the first time, right? Mm -hmm. Most of them can't get their hips below their knees, right? So you got to go through a progression of how you want to set that up, right? So you, 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 first off, you have them, you have them start off and, and they get, they just got to worry about getting their legs out, getting down a little bit, get down to three quarters, hold it a little bit. So those progressions are important. Furthermore, being able to take that same philosophy in college and take it to high school was important for me because I started to see that sometimes the high school coaches that I was seeing that were even on my staff and I would tell them, I'd be like, look, I think you're expecting a little too much out of that progression. Just because he did those drills for three days doesn't mean he's going to jump from two to five. It's okay to leave him at two. Now that's saying that the progression is set up, the teaching is set up so that the guy that's out of four or five, you're also trying to get him to the next level and keep him on there. But don't get mad at the kid for not being a five when he's a two. That yeah. Try to work him into that three, spend some time, give some quality consideration to it. And I think in the, out, in, in, in the long term, your outcomes are just much better for you as a coach and your level of frustration, it's better for the kid's confidence and what he's going to keep. Because if he gets to level three and you're loving him up on it, he's going to work his butt off to get to number four. Yeah. That was, so, that was something coach, I remember. So, so how hard was it to spend your career with Ryan and you could never get him past one? <laughs> Man, I, you know that I didn't expect, I didn't expect like, to get him past I saw he was a one. I saw it was never going to be a two. So I just was like, hey. Yeah, buddy, high five to Ryan. So you ever get my coach on here, Ryan, you can dog me all day long, but for now I'm going to I mean, well, your coach probably would never come on here because you don't have a good relationship because you were so shit or bad. Sorry, you were probably That's so beat that. That's okay. beat okay. that. Hey, right. hey, right. Sorry, they I'm might sorry. both be the keynote speakers, Ryan. <laughs> and hey, Coach Pratt, he played at Ashland University, so you know you're ten times better than any Ashland coach when you were at ODU. So never, never hey. lost ODU. Shut up. Hey. We never lost even there. Hey, Sayers, don't worry. College football is a little different in the late nineties. It's a little different for Coach Stout right now. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, so he was, so anyways, I got I got I you said something interesting to me. You ever seen how he ran down? No. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's Do we want to like, pull up your tackle stats from your senior year, Ryan? <laughs> Those non-existent tackle stats from your senior year. Dang. I think yeah, you should so pull up how many quarters he was. How many quarters he was suspended during his career? <laughs> nice job, Ryan. <laughs> See now you're just Ryan. You're digging your hole. Just stop it here. It was a light-hearted joke, and you're just digging the hole even deeper. All right. That was junior year, though. All right. So, Coach, an interesting point to me is you talked about your weekend and how much that overlapped. Like, for me, my Sunday is insane. Like, it's wake up and between battling off and on, helping with the kids here and there, it feels eight to ten hours on a Sunday just from one game plan, let alone two. Like, how did you structure your time? Did you come up with a system? Is it because you're doing a lot of same as on both sides? Did you simplify? Did you give more to your assistants? What did you do? Because I'm just picturing, I, I drown just doing one game plan. I can't imagine two. Well, and also though, Pratt, don't forget, like, add in how you have a job. Like you own businesses yeah. too. Yeah, it's, it's not like you're just I have a great staff. I have great people. like his life is the hardest life in the entire world. Like, it's unbelievable. He'll cry here about every go. schedule he has. It's my you, turn you to get married. Here we go. You're coaching two football teams, and Stout's just an OC. He's not even that coach. Dang, just an OC. Dude, it's, that's a – so listen, I think – Whenever you're structured, you're better, right? So you, you you know how to managing my time was the most important thing, and being prepared to not sleep. That's I've never I'm one of those people I don't need a lot of sleep. So Saturday night when I got back from the college game, I would just start breaking down the high school films. I'd be sitting. Usually I would just sit and watch TV and be inserting data for the high school stuff. And then Saturday night I would try to have because I would create cutups of situations for the high school kids. So like. I found watching film had to be digestible because they didn't know what they were watching. So I started mm -hmm. off with P and 10 plays, first and 10 plays, second and on schedule, second and off schedule, right? Third and long open calls where it's everything's on schedule, right? Third and less than four red zone calls, a bit explosive plays. And I would have a list of like 20 cutups I would create for the kids, right? And we'd watch those kind of throughout the week before practice, try to grab a couple of them, just grab a couple plays off of them to just get the kids familiar with touching the information. And that was so important early in the season. And as I did it early in the season, they took that and ran with it themselves, but getting that structure so that 
Sunday, I knew all I had to do was get up and grade the college film and be ready to go to the meeting because we usually met nine. I think we met around nine. As long as I got up and I had it done, I could then get in the, and then we would just start data inputting. But a lot of times in college, when you're, you've got four or five guys doing the data in the high school, it was just me. None of my coaches knew how to work huddle. They didn't know how to do anything. So I had to put more of my energy into the college. I had a role. I got to look at play action passes and to be involved in the third and long and some of this other stuff. But there's also four other guys there doing the exact same thing I would do. And so we would just get around the table. And for after we did the grades and had our player meeting, we'd go into the, to the staff room and all of us would just be da- doing data input. Once we got the data input, we'd break for lunch, come back from lunch. And that's when we'd really start manipulating the data and looking at what we wanted to do. And then Monday was another big work day. So I, had all, I, I pretty much had everything done for Sunday's meeting with the high school when I would leave the college and go to the high school. I pretty much what we knew what we were going to do there's mainly meeting with the coaches watching the the height the high school cut-ups of our next opponent and trying to this is what we want to do that's what when we left on sunday night we pretty much had the had the game plan understood and some of the things the, the the practice prescriptions of drills and stuff we wanted to work throughout the week then monday i would finish off the college's game plan because mondays we had off with the players we didn't have any players bothering us all day long so we just lock ourselves in the staff room knock that piece out in the tuesday morning at 6 a.m it was off and running with the college guys they had their game plan and they were ready to run jeez there's a lot of football (laughs) i'm going to transition though like to a different kind of aspect it was like we had early on in season one we had brennan ward who's their quarterback at gahanna and their dad is the head, his dad's head football coach too. And so for you being a coach for your son's team, what's the aspect like at home for you and Elijah? How would you say you try to separate if he might mess something up in the game and it might make you make you mad? First like, off, you let's be a good host, Ryan. Not all of us know about Elijah and the situation. So yeah, Coach, fill so, us in on your son, what position yeah. he plays. Come on, Ryan. Do your job here. Come on. <laughs> hey. So my son's supposed to do. You want me to talk about his son? Dang. <laughs> so yeah. my, weird. So my son's a I don't know. Elijah he, could be a, a, a right guard for all I know. Nobody knows when they're listening, Ryan. He coaches defense. Who <laughs> knows when his son plays? <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> so Elijah's a free safety. He's a junior. He really, honestly, he digests more football than most people. Like he could draw stubby up for you, right? Most people can't even tell you what the freak stubby is, right? They can't tell you what Ripley's match is. They can't tell you what the rotation is like in, in certain defenses, or they can't draw up 52 Buster, or 25 Douglas, whatever it is. But he can do that because he sees it all the time. Like he sees me watching film. He comes and watches film with me. And one of the things that's allowed him is a front row seat. So when he's on the field, we had a linebacker. He was a power five kid. He ended up signing at NC State. And he was always confident. Confident when Elijah was making the calls in the back end, then he knew what he was doing. So he's got a front row seat to a lot of information that a lot of kids don't have, and it's helped his football IQ. At the same time, it made it very difficult in practices because being uh, your son and you're a coach, it, high school parents, I got introduced to that this year. I didn't really, mm-hmm. wasn't really aware of what that was like. Mm-hmm. It's because I didn't want anybody daddy ball and all this other stuff. I had to melt that kid down worse than I had. There were times where I would get on him for the smallest thing in ways that I would never get on any other kid. And it wasn't that, it was the fact that I used to tell him, you're going to have to do everything so right that nobody can ever question that you earned it. And there were a lot of times driving home, but he was getting his license. So he was driving me home and I'm sitting there thinking, I was looking out the window thinking, I am the worst father in the world. I just melted this kid down in front of everybody like three or four times for things I normally wouldn't do that about, but it was all to protect what he's earned. And that's one of the hard things about coaching your son that I didn't expect. And a lot of that's due to the fact that parents see things. You're never going to win the kitchen table. And I think as coaches, we understand that. And I don't expect to, but it was something that quickly I identified. And so that was a trying part of it. It was an uncomfortable reality of the situation while there were some great moments he got an interception in a big game that flipped the game some big moments and I was so happy that I got to be a part of watching those moments right there on the sideline we're definitely through our journey in life we're going to see this whole thing together and talk about it on a different level than most people talk about their high school football experience with their parents but at the same time there's a call there's a real cost that comes with that and that real cost is you have to be cognitive of what 
everyone else is going to say. And you have to, unfortunately, sometimes you have to be a little bit harder than you want to. It's hard. As a coordinator, it's my second time. I, I, I was at Wadsworth, the head coach's son. He was a quarterback and now coaching for Bruce, his son's a quarterback. It's just a, it's a very interesting dynamic to be a part of and see how people manage and, and how that relationship unfolds. And at the end of the day, I, I think that, I think they really appreciate it. I think your son's going to really appreciate it when you look back, it can get a little interesting as a coordinator being in the middle <laughs> at times. Yeah. So, so that's interesting. And the other part of that too is the unfair part is I felt guilty. There were often times where Elijah had the highest grade in the secondary. And there were times where I wouldn't give him reps when he deserved it. And after the season, the one thing that I said in our internal staff meeting with the coaches is we were very unfair to this kid. In a lot of situations, he was better. We per I purposely didn't give him playing time because he was my son and because I wanted to make sure that I had balanced everything correctly and nobody could ever question the integrity of what we were trying to do. And so that that's just that's something that you got to eat. And it's just but it's interesting from my perspective, just looking at it is just at the end of the day, no one's ever going to be happy, which you don't see as much in the college perspective because parents don't ever interject themselves as much right. as the high school game. But I'll tell you what, the last couple of years at the high school game, the, the, some of the things, and, and Ryan knows it too, we all been there. It, especially social media has made it worse because everybody has yeah. a free inbox to say whatever they want to you and become wild uh, administrators yeah. nowadays don't protect their coaches and, and will let people say anything they want to you and you just got to be the better person no matter what for a couple thousand dollars a year and it, at the end of the day it sounds like, hey man let that kid ball out do you and no matter what somebody's always going to have something he could be mr ohio and somebody yeah. will still find a way to approach you about something. You're never going to make everybody yeah. happy. The first year in that school, the, one of the games we lost, I had a parent literally tell me to take my son and, and get the hell out of the yeah. town. And I was just like, dude, we're 10 and 1. Like, what yeah. are you talking about? You just can't please everybody. You're we right. We could go on and on about those. I think at the end of the day, you got to do what you believe in and what's best in your heart. I, I think it sounds like you're doing that. NIL transfer mania let's talk about it coach from your unique perspective seeing the recruiting side from high school you're also involved in recruiting at the college aspect i'm almost to a point in life where i feel like if you're gonna stay at your school you got to make an announcement you're staying at your school versus yeah. your transfer and talk to us about this current landscape we're in so i i think it's different at every level right i think you you see it more there's a lot more glamour to it at the power five level. These NIL deals are more real. Um, you're talking about some real money at some of these programs. And I think that there, the mobility probably makes more sense, but at the same time, so let's talk about the transfer. How many thousands of kids are in the transfer portal right now? New and record. it's a new record, right? And at the levels, it, it, it really doesn't, it, it doesn't translate to every level. So at D2, we have kids getting in the portal and the reality is, Man, that, that situation looks different. I think that from what I'm seeing is, first off, let's talk about the coaches. I'm not sure we understand the portal, if I'm being completely honest. You had coaches that say, at first, they didn't want to touch the portal. They didn't have a recruiting plan in the portal. I'm not so sure that this year, I'm finally starting to see coaches say, hey, look, we're going to have a, we're going to bring all the portal recruits in on this day, and they're going to work out. And whoever doesn't sign within 48 hours of leaving campus, we're moving on to the high school kids. I think that's what a lot of the programs at D2 and some of these lower level have, have just started to say, like, at some point we got to, but we got to go out there and get the next best thing. Right. And I think that's just a way of trying to grasp some control of the situation. I don't know whether it's the right answer or the wrong answer. I think it, at another level, you have coaches that are looking at the portal and I'm not so sure they have the first clue what they're looking at. Cause there's some real questions as a business guy. There's some real questions you got to ask whenever you're talking about, do I have the type of program that's going to support uh, this kid coming in, he's not from our culture, right? I'm trying to build this culture. It's a big word in everybody's program. I'm trying to build this culture. I'm trying to keep this team's identity. How does that kid fit in there? You don't know. And he's leaving that school. So you really got to ask some questions. Does my program support that? And the next thing is, is what's the cost of the, uh, in business, there's always opportunity costs. Opportunity cost is the cost of the next best opportunity you have that you didn't get, right? So you got to look at you got to look at that because what if maybe you could get a couple of high school kids that you could develop over time are you going to be able to develop them 
what's your deal look like? Have you, if you've lost two games, if you've lost for two years as a coach at any level, you got to start worrying about your job. And so for self-preservation purposes, right, you're, you might go attack the portal. And I think that five years from now, we're going to unpack this thing. We're going we're gonna to start to really analyze what's happened. And I'm not so sure we're all going to think we're going to be like, man, we really could have done that better. And I think that's unfortunately going to come further down the road. At the same time, I do think that it offers some unique opportunities. I have seen a lot, some D2 kids and I saw a D3 kid get a, I think it was a group of five offer the other day, DB. So there is some upward mobility. A lot of the upward mobility seems to be more with the offensive linemen and defensive linemen being able to, to catch to get on at some of these bigger programs, just because you're getting that mature, more developed product that you can put into your to, to your scheme faster. I think that, that being able to get them in for the beginning of the semester and have them in the spring is an advantage for some of these programs because now I got them in the spring, I can work with them, not just bringing them in the fall and figuring out they're a hit or a miss. I get a whole, I get, I get to really look at some information before there. I think for the high school kids, it's, listen, I'm gonna tell you this as I'm recruiting, I'm seeing some high school kids getting pulled out of class. I didn't see them three years ago. They didn't even, the coach didn't even tell me about this kid, right? He's 6'3", 315, basketball player, a wrestler. And he, I'm, I'm looking at him, his film, and I'm like, this kid can move. Like, why? I, I didn't see this kid a, a while back. But those kids have, some of those kids have fallen to us. And I'm not so sure that the parents fully understand it. And I, I think that it's hard for the kid, right, to, to, to sit there and say, I'm a D2 kid now. The reality is if you can play college football, go play college football. We have scouts, NFL scouts on our huddle at, at the university, and they, after every game, are on there two and three hours in a week. So you're going to get found no matter where you're at. So just go play where you're at. And I think that – I think that – that, that's the other thing, too, with other kids, though, is that – I want to stop on that point because the kids that are saying they are now D2 kids – what happens to the kids that were D2 kids and now have to go to the D3? And those are the kids that I feel like it, I'm having things with you running into, right? Like kids that should be D2 or D1 kid or even a small FCS school or, you know what I mean, something like that. Now they're dropping to D2, low D3. It's almost think- like almost your players who, if they're not, elite d1 kids almost everybody's been kicked back the level almost or at least battling between levels i think that's what we've seen yeah i think you're right i think they're battling in a no man's land right they they might get lucky based on a need but i think also grades play such a pivotal role now with these high school kids listen if you go in there i hate to say this but 3.0 now is like man you need that sure thing you need to know that kid's gonna be there you it's there's more to it now it's harder to take risks on these kids because there's so many of them. Why am I going to take a risk on a kid with a 3.0 when I got three offensive linemen that have a 3.6 to 3.8? Like now he might be a great player, but there's some other things coming into that equation that might not be in his favor based on maybe how he handled the first four years. And I think there's these these kids got to be a little bit more mature if they really do have that goal of playing college football, of handling their business all through the process because it's so easy. There's so many kids out there. Look, the average... College, I think the average university at, at, at the D1 level was taking like between seven and 10 high school kids, right? Of course, not like Ohio State, they're getting five stars. But if you look at most of the programs, the rest of the kids are going to get in the portal. So you're going to tell there's 100, what, 114 D1 schools. So we're talking about what? We're talking about 1,100 kids in the nation are going to get a, are going to get a, some sort of D1 offer. That's not a lot of kids, man, for all the kids that play football. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it's really changed the dynamic of it. At the same time, we are seeing better kids. Like the D2 level is full of really good players right now. I think I, I joke around with people that we've become the new FCS. And that's to your point about how everything's are getting kicked back, right? We have some really good players and it's exciting for us. And it's not just us, though. everybody's getting them. It's difficult. It's a challenging, it's a challenging environment. I think it's crazy. Good. Um, I was going to say, I think it's crazy. And Sayers and I all understand this because we're so closely removed from college football. Stout, I know it's going to be hard to process because it's been so long. But go. like I in 20, I, and I really do think COVID is what sparked this because in 2019, I remember the same compliance meetings that we had every single fall, like at the beginning of August at Miami, where it was 2016, 2019, they'd go over the transfer rules and the compliance rules. And they go, if you want to transfer, here's the process. 
here's a list of schools that we will not let you transfer to. It's your rivals. It's in conference yeah. teams. It's like your other rival over there. It's like this random team there. And then COVID happened. I remember as a senior, the NCAA changed the rule where it was, you basically had a penalty free transferability. And I remember that was a big deal. And, and we talked about it as, as teammates and we didn't think much of it. And then it exploded in 2021. I think then just a couple of weeks ago too, there was the ruling. I, I'm not well-versed enough to know like where specifically it was, but the, I, I know that for two-time transfers, it was there was a ruling for some case that was going on where if you transfer for a second time, there was some kind of, not suspension, but there was some kind of holdout where you got to, you had to wait another year to play like how it was originally with one-time transfers. Now that's on hold. And you've seen that just go, you've seen that echo out throughout the levels of college ball because that got put on hold. And now there is, again, no penalty or no waiting yeah. time, just like there is for one-time transfers, like it changed a couple of years ago. It's crazy. Yeah. I think with the transfers, I think a lot of people will take for granted that it's the NIL causing this, but it's really not. At our level, the NIL is, it's really insignificant. It's not. What yeah, that's mean, it. Right? That's what I was going to ask yeah. you, Pratt. Do kids come in and ask you at the D2 level, hey, do you got NIL deals for me? Listen, I think they're, I think at the D2 level, they're happy to get anything, right? I think more and more, they just want to get close to zero right on their grand aid package, right? They just want to get close to zero. And if they can get sponsored by Manscaped or whatever, they're probably pretty happy with that. I don't know, but I'm just throwing a name out there. But at the same time, it's, you're seeing all these, you're hearing about all these dollars at the, at the power five level. And I think that's where it's perverting things a little bit because everybody thinks that that money's there and it's just, it's not there. And actually there's a rule I don't know if you guys have seen it, but there's actually, I think it's going to be voted on at the convention that there's actually, they're going to change the way a lot of the NIL is done and, and some of these collectives and there's a proposal out there to change it anyway. And I, I just think, I think that they lost, I, I think like with anything, when you swing the pendulum, right? So you just let it go and you swing it all the way to the other side. It's got to come back for it to make sense, right? It's just, it just went a little too far because it's not happening at every level. I don't think it's happening much at, I don't even think like schools, I'm sure schools like Marshall and stuff like that probably have a little something, but I, it's not like the millions that you're hearing about with some of these guys. It's just not. And that's, that's kind of my point is it feels like all of those stories get sensationalized. How much of this transfer portal is riddled with failures and lives oh. ruined? And how many kids has it completely altered? I don't know because I don't watch the transfer portal. We don't log on and see it. We don't have kids that leave our program for it. But it doesn't get talked about. Nobody's talking about the number of kids. Hey, 70% that went in a transfer portal never even ended up anywhere. Like, where are we at with it? What is the negative or bad nobody's talking about, maybe? Listen, Tate I think Martell if, you look, from Iowa State. if you look at the numbers in the portal now, like you guys said, record numbers, right? Numbers. And you look at how many players can a school sign? Even at our school, we'll probably sign, say, five to ten transfer portal kids. And we'll probably sign another... 10 to 15 high school kids. And I think that's probably traditional with most D2s, but you can reverse engineer the numbers and add up the number of D2s and because D3s really don't count because they're not giving money, athletic money. And then so you, you reverse engineer the numbers and you put it into the numbers of the people in the portal and you can quickly see that it's not a good, it's not a good possibility you have to have luck. You have to be good. There's a couple of times I've seen kids get in the portal and I'm like, okay, I think it's also a way of kind of exiting stage left in the portal. It just didn't work out, <laughs> like, it's just, but it's a kind of a way for them to fade off in the sunset. And that's a very small percentage of guys, but at the, at, I think it's really, unfortunately, it's, I think it's, it's really leaving some kids hung out to dry. Yeah. So I know grades, obviously in high school are a huge thing. How much are grades coming from the transfer portal? Um, would you take a guy, I don't know why I have this question, but would you take a transfer portal guy that has a, a 3-0, which is the same abilities as a guy in high school that has a, like a 3-5 though? Does it matter more for the high school kid or the college kid? So I, I, it matters both. The, the academic stuff that these schools are giving doesn't really change. So the academic that you would get as a freshman coming into school is the same thing you're going to get if you're a transfer coming into school. It's not like you're getting a lift because you're a sophomore and you're going to get more academic aid from the school. But at the same time, it, I think one of the things is always about is about grades is are you worth the risk? 
It's as a business person, if I'm hiring, a, if I'm hiring an employee, I realize that most of my costs in that employee, an employee coming in the door is in its, in, in the person's training, right? So you can say, I, I can account that I'm going to probably, the training and the amount of time it takes them to get up to speed. And so I calculate that cost and I can say, Hey, look, that cost is really $25,000. Okay. And so I can figure out what that is. And if I lose on that person too many times, then there's a real cost there to to these things the same thing's true in this right there's a there's an acquisition kind of cost that goes along with these players and it's some of it's missing out on the next one getting the right one now at the same time you can clean up your roster and get some money back somebody goes to the portal that you overpaid coming out of high school that didn't work out there's some of that but it's to me all of that just makes this a business Mm -hmm. and i'm not so sure that everybody involved understands the business and in that point, that makes it bad business. I can't even blame some of the players at some point. I, Mac kids that transfer up, they had a great season and, and they transfer up to a power five school, whatever. I can't even, I don't understand the fans out there that blame the players and spite the players because the arena and the environment that kids are in right now, where you leave a group of five school, or you leave a, an FCS or a division two school as a starter and you go up and you're promised these things, you're not getting promised just a roster spot. You're getting promised a down payment on a home. Like you're yeah. getting promised like yeah. a brand new car with no debt. For it. You know what I mean? Like some <laughs> Who's ensuring you're getting paid? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like you're getting things that can be milestones to your life that can mm-hmm. add on, that can take off 10 years of working for you, can take off whatever it is. And so the, the arena around college ball right now is, is so different than I think it was just let let me ask you this so like money from these NIL deals and the money kids think they're going to get but look at the long-term value of your degree listen Mm -hmm. even if you go to the NFL you're going to be pro in something else for 60 years right it's the average lifespan in the NFL what four five three three years something like that you retire when you're six you're going pro in something else for 60 years I think that people have I think that a lot of people who who wanted to see this money pour into this thinking they were doing a favor to these kids really don't understand the negative impact that it has on everybody as a whole because now you're looking at it and you're saying these kids don't value their degree the same way they value the money that they're going to get coming in the door or for yep. their playing experience and the reality is, is that degree and and that experience they get in the classroom and the career that it leads to potentially is a longer term more valuable situation and we've corrupted that like you don't even hear kids talking about getting their degree right all they're thinking about is getting the next opportunity and that's that's bad advice yeah i could imagine being 18 19 years old (laughs) with there's the million side but let's just even talk thousands and having to take school serious i was happy my grandma sent me a hundred dollars every two weeks to live off of it was like all right here you go Fifty dollars is gonna go to booze for the next two weeks, <laughs> and I gotta take the other half, and I gotta make it work on some food here and there. You know what I mean? Arch I was Manning at Coach Pratt gave me twenty bucks for food mm-hmm. in a week. I never gave uh, you twenty dollars. <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't do that. Arch yeah, Manning, Arch Manning at Texas makes four times Brock Birdie's current salary as yeah. leading it's, MVP it's just candidate. Unbelievable. Because like yeah. quarterback, eighteen year old in college, makes more than the leading yeah. MVP candidate. Think about yeah. what he's eating. He ain't eating over at Hamilton Hall like a hot Dominican man. He's over there. They're able to spend their money, and then they're not paying for their car. They also, you know what I mean? Their car is on an NIL deal. They nope. places that they're living are NIL deals because they. Man, I think though, something. I think that's fantasized. I, if you look at the percentage of players, it's such a really low on it. Yeah, it's yeah. such a low percentage. But I think who really, who really in this NIL deal, look at where things have moved to with agents. Is if I'm an agent, if I if I'm an NFL an agent taking on a player going to the NFL, like this is a real conversation I want people to understand. Why do I if I've got an NIL deal and I've got millions of dollars, I don't need you anymore, right? Yeah. So these agents have to create an economy because they need jobs, right? So what do they do? Let's try to get NIL deals for the kids in high school and and try mm-hmm. to get to, try to get, start representing them as they go to colleges. It's the next step. We've created a whole economy around this thing that we don't even understand. And I, I, I probably shouldn't be saying all this, but what do I care? 
You know? We hear the nightmare stories too, where some kids have given up like twenty five percent of their future earnings. So yeah. I take an NIL deal for college in a collective, and people who get me this deal, but they sign agreements that give up their potential future earnings to even if they do make it big. And it's a scary situation with where it's at right now. You've got these high school kids. I, I was looking at one of the recruiting websites, and there's kids that literally have their NIL dollars that they want on their recruiting stuff man it's just to me i can't imagine recruiting a kid like that and sitting in their home and having those conversations like that would be the basis of what it is could you imagine though if high school was the same way though stat like we get it from the parents like we were just talking about how the high school parents are can you imagine if money was added in especially with maybe a low-income family at that point i think it's time for me to hang the whistle up as we talk about high school, it failed in a lopsided way in Ohio. There's other states that do it. We had Tyler Maness and some other guys on here talk about it's the same thing. Like, proportionally, only a couple kids really have a deal, and it's when they're already done almost. But I'm scared how a school could use that to leverage to turn themselves into a Titan. I've said this to our staff, and I've said it to other people. Like, if NIL passes... There's nothing that stops a school from creating an LLC that creates themselves properties in the district and creates the NIL behind kids and has the properties all for them to move in. And then look at where we're at. But to be honest, anybody can, your alumni association, you go start a 501c3 right now and have it donate to the school and it would be a glorified collective as you speak. And there's nothing the state of Ohio could do about it because the 501 C3 is not illegal and they're donating money to the school. So it could be happening now. There's nothing stopping it. They just can't pay a certain player directly. They can't, but they could be giving money to a program disproportionately from what another program's getting. And and that's an advantage. And that's a reason for kids to move in because they're going to have better equipment and better Things and everybody likes the flashy things now, right? It's all instant popcorn and instant hot chocolate and instant coffee and yeah. Hey, this is Man. this has been great. Hour and but, ten. That's that'll do it though. That I'll I tell you what, I, I love this conversation tonight, Coach. We yep. can't wait to have you at the clinic. Ryan says you're a keynote you speaker. It. We can't wait. <laughs> you I'm got all it. for it. <laughs> And it's been a pleasure having you on. Say, right, there's going to be a brewery us. attached to it. So we, a lot of the people that listen and a lot of people I've talked to, I've talked to about four or five people about the clinic. They all said, don't, you got to have drinks and food. Got to be at a place to have drinks and food. Yeah, it's a and dangerous so, proposition. We have a place though. Stout and I are going to meet with this lady. Thanks. Just you and Stout. I thought you had to work. You're not off work next week. You're only- we had nine out of time yet. Right. You really ruined team chemistry tonight, man. Wrap yeah, yeah you are. He yeah. is really. Yeah. Wrap it up, Ryan. Wrap at it up. At the end of the day, I don't coach it for the Lions, baby. I just help out with the podcast. <laughs> Donnie, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> hey, here's the thing. Let's go ahead and wrap it up, though. We appreciate everybody coming on. Make sure you guys subscribe, subscribe. Make sure you mm-hmm. get on there. Thank you, Coach Pratt, joining us, talking a little bit about the double vision and seeing things from high school perspective and a uh, college perspective. And next week, we got a great guest coming on. Stout will be uh, posting our little preview. Shout out to Donnie Mack, making sure we had a, a banger for next week. ESPN. Um, yep, yeah, ESPN cat. We'll see. Donnie's got those connects. But uh, no, make sure you guys hit up also fundraising university and brent maxwell if you guys need any fundraising stuff i know i'm gonna be connecting with him soon to get ours rolling for this upcoming season make sure you guys get in contact with him absolutely hey coach i appreciate it. it's been one of the most fun episodes uh, mm-hmm. it was a pleasure to meet you and i can't wait to see you soon again hey thank you guys for the opportunity it was a lot of fun i look forward to doing it again awesome, awesome. appreciate right, it coach. see you all right